This discussion is a recording of a panel that was part of an innovation forum event run in partnership with Walgreens Boots Alliance that focused on the intersection between climate change, human health, and the role of business. This panel focuses on the collaboration imperative and examines the emerging role of business in building systemic resilience. It begins with a short introduction from Richard Curtis, the founder of Comic Relief. The subsequent 45-minute panel discussion is held between David Croft, Global Director of Sustainability, Environment, and Human Rights at Reckitt, Fiona Adshead, the Chair of the Sustainable Healthcare Coalition, and James Gom, Director, People and Society at the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. The discussion is moderated by Una Kent, Vice President of CSR International at Walgreens Boots Alliance. Hello. It's a great honor to say a few words at the start of this conference. My first words obviously have to be of praise. Walgreens have been an amazing partner for Red Nose Day, the charity I founded, and their practical passion has helped us raise a huge chunk of money to change millions of children's lives. But today is about climate and health. Thank God I don't have to go into detail because you have an amazing lineup doing just that. So what I really want to say is this. First, climate change is about people. In the olden days, even 10 years ago, people like me thought it was just about planet. But with every passing day, we see ever more clearly that it is the poorest people on the planet that climate change is hurting, even killing most. Every humanitarian now has to be a climate activist. Second, everyone has immense power in this game. I'm sure we're all inspired by the passion and activism of a deeply engaged younger generation, but all of us, and especially those in business and politics, are the epic necessary heroes of the hour. We all have to see our jobs now through a totally new lens, the what the hell can I do about climate change lens. I'm just gonna give you one quick example. I recently founded a campaign called Make My Money Matter. It's about sustainable pensions, yes, pensions, as an epic tool to fight against climate change. And in the UK alone, in 24 months, we've helped move 800 billion pounds of pension money into sustainable pensions, supporting businesses working against climate change and for justice and equality. And that's just pensions, one area of life I never thought could be part of this mighty battle. So thank God for this conference. Thanks to Walgreens, and I hope today is full of wonderful conversations, but that you all leave primed for actual actions to take on this, the greatest issue of our time. Thanks to Richard and his colleague for helping put that together. Una, handing over to you now for what promises to be a fascinating session. Now to kick off our second panel, we're going to be exploring this idea of collaboration and the imperative of collaboration a little bit more and drill a little bit more into the role of business in building that systemic resilience. And I am utterly delighted to be joined by three very, very, very um, expert panellists to help us do that. This is really looking at, you know, now that we kind of understand the link between human health and climate change, how can business deliver a role of adaptation and mitigation? And then how can companies or coalitions of companies and organisations come together to drive that sustainable difference? So I'm really excited to be joined by three brilliant panellists. First off, we have Fiona Adshead. So Fiona is the chair of the Sustainable Healthcare Coalition. Dr Fiona Adshead, I should say. Welcome to you. I know this is a, an issue that has been very, very personally close to your heart. So when we talked earlier about personalising the issue, I think you've got that in spades. 
<laughs> Secondly, we've got James Gom, who's joining us from WBCSD. James is the Director of People and Society. This is an area that, in particular, healthcare has become something that's come higher on your agenda as well recently. So hopefully you'll be able to talk a little bit about that. And last but by no means least, David Croft, who is the Global Director of Sustainability, Environment and Human Rights at Reckitt. There's no better example of business action than some of the stuff that Reckitt has been doing. So I'm hoping you can bring some of that to light for us today. Welcome, everybody. I'll maybe, if you don't mind, maybe Fiona, I could throw it to you to start with just a few opening remarks about what you think this emerging role of business in driving this resilience will look like. Thanks very much. I guess it's a combination of some of I think what we'll go on to talk about, which is collaboration, which is what I do now through the coalition of bringing together healthcare partners like the NHS with business to really think about how we drive practical change in healthcare. But once we think about resilience, as you say, it is about the personal. Resilience was once described to me as surfing on the edge of chaos that in a sense, as an individual, you surf the waves of things that come at you. And if you're successful and you are resilient, then you manage to stay on top of your board and you surf into the future, thriving as you go, having fun. You know, you can imagine it. But what does that mean for business? Well, I think those waves, as we've heard in the last session, have really changed. I think now the expectation on business is different. We know that capital investment is going to be based on an assessment of carbon risk. But we also know that we can no longer take human health for granted, that there is a great fragility in our economies if we do that. But yet, when we think about at an organisational level, I don't think we've quite yet made the connection between health and climate change and how we think about resilience. So how do we design in both environment and health at the same time? And I'm just going to give a couple of examples to give you a flavour of what that might look like. So I think the first thing is that every strategic decision needs to be based on is it good for health? And is it good for environment as well as commercial success? And why do I say that? Because I think for far too long, we've not put our people, our stakeholders, their health and the environment at the core of what we do. And we need to. So, for example, for our people, as we heard just now in the video, are we really thinking about some of the environmental consequences of climate change, the impact of our people, floods, for example, smoke, exposure to things that may actually be new and in the community and how can we work with stakeholders on that? How are we thinking about the impact we have on our supply chain, both for health in terms of, for example, decarbonising products and services, but working with companies who are our suppliers, using electrical vehicles, that kind of thing to reduce air pollution. How are we thinking about that? And how are we thinking about our broader stakeholders? When we think about resilience, you know, no doubt a number of the companies listening will be thinking around offsetting and will be thinking about increasing biodiversity, for example, planting trees, as we've heard recently from our own government in the UK, how important that is. But there's a choice when you do that. You can choose to do that with an environment and health lens so that are you, for example, generating jobs in your community, which will improve people's health? Are you thinking about how you do that in an inclusive way to give people more choice over their community and the environment they live in so that you really promote their health? There are all sorts of ways that by in everyday decisions that we take, we can build health and environment 
into our decision making and then through our leadership and what we do through our brands, our purpose and our metrics, we can really demonstrate to people that we do mean business and we can have impact and we can translate it into practical action, which is, I think, where we need to get to now with the climate crisis. You've touched on lots of really interesting points there. And I know you've been doing a lot of research into this very recently and the role of business. I love the notion of, and this came up in the Q&A earlier, the idea of the role of our people internally and their role to act and make it core to their day-to-day -day strategic decision choices. And I think that's really cool. You know, this idea of making it incredibly personal at the community level. Yeah, I really love those ideas. So maybe we can come back round on those a little bit. And before we do, James, might I invite you to also share some opening thoughts and ideas around the topic for the panel? Thanks, Una. First of all, just to address that word resilience, I think is important because perhaps traditional business understanding or business impl implementation of, of resilience has all been around getting back to where we were before the shock happened or returning to business as usual having that bounce back ability to, to bounce back to business as usual as quickly as possible. In the current world and the future that lays before us, that's really not a definition that's going to be applicable. It's much more about adaptability, regeneration, modality, cohesion, and diversity that are going to really drive forward resilience moving forward. So I think we need to, first of all, think about that term specifically from a business context and really understand how we think about resilience now and how we need to think about resilience moving forward. And my organization, the snazzily named WBCSD, or the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, to give it its full name, is a, a business membership organization of around 200 leading multinationals that all come together to advance sustainability solutions, helping businesses to tackle some of those issues that are too intangible or too tricky to tackle by one organization on its own. And we've recently moved into the, the field of, of health and well-being. It's an area we've sort of toyed at the margins of for many years, perhaps with more of a focus on our work being on the, the environmental side, the natural systems side. But increasingly, those areas are completely inseparable in terms of what you have to do. And health very much now a key part of that climate dialogue and indeed the, the natural world dialogue more broadly. But what we're trying to do with our members is really two things. I think, first of all, is to explore collectively and with partners the role that business can play in supporting a more resilient healthcare system, making businesses on our end more aware of what the key resilient factors are for a healthcare system that is able to deliver and meet the needs of people moving into the future in the face of a series of mounting threats, whether it's planetary breakdown in terms of natural systems, whether it's other issues like antimicrobial resistance that's building up other issues, demographic changes, capacity failings, et cetera, et cetera. Bringing business more into the fold around how those threats will threaten our healthcare systems and then making clear what business can do to play a role in helping to detect, engage, and then deliver solutions in those areas. That's one thing. And not just healthcare companies either, broadening that out to, to a wider range of sectors, whether it's IT companies, whether it's companies that play a key part in the supply chains of the healthcare system. And giving them that awareness and encouraging that interaction, collaboration with governments and other actors. And then I think there's a much broader piece as well, which I hope we can dive into in a, in a bit more detail, which is busting perceptions that healthcare is only the concern of companies in the health sector or the, the health system sector. And really making it clear that every company has a role to play in creating a more resilient health of individuals and therefore a more resilient healthcare system as a whole. So whether that's through the way in which business interacts with its own employees or whether it's through the, the portfolio of products and services that businesses are putting out there. 
and really underlining the opportunities those businesses have and indeed underlining the, at the end of the day, the business case as well for, for doing all this, why this is important and why businesses from all sectors should be getting involved. But I'll leave it there and look forward to discussing more. Yeah, okay, I'm going to take that challenge. Let's. Uh, we will drill into that a little bit more and I hope the panellists are all up for it. David, I'm going to turn to you next. Reckitts are obviously doing a huge amount. So I think we'd love to hear in the audience, we'd love to hear a little bit about what your thoughts are too. My sense is that there is such an important role for business to play in this conversation. You know, whether we want to talk about it as resilience, whether we want to talk about it as opportunity from a business point of view, whether we talk it about playing a role in tackling the wider societal challenge, I think there are so many reasons why it is critical that business gets involved in this conversation. From a record point of view, we start from the premise that fundamentally the planet's health is everybody's health. Increasingly in our global markets, we see the challenges of climate change and the impact that climate change has on people's lives, people's health. I have to say that when we sat here in the UK, those impacts are present, but they're not as visible and as acute as we are seeing in other markets, markets like India, where the rising temperature is becoming unsustainable for people's health. Thailand, where we're seeing different disease vectors coming through with malarial disease and dengue fever coming through more frequently. We're still seeing that in the UK. We're still seeing that in the US in different ways, as we heard in one of the videos not too long ago about fires and the impact of air pollution and so on and so forth. The critical thing here is that it's blatantly obvious to us that more people are going to die because of climate change and perhaps almost as many who are being affected by diet-related ill health, which has been the topic of government conversation for a long time. And yet the irony for me is that at COP there isn't a day on health. There's a day on many, many other really important things, but health is not fully on the agenda. And yet I think, we think, at Reckitt, that it needs to be, and it's one of the topics we'll be taking. I wonder also if there's a need in that public health debate that both Fiona and James talked to, for policymakers to start to see climate change as one of the things that fundamentally should also be informing the public health agenda, because that would then put it onto a same footing as many other things. And it is coming, but it's not as apparent yet as it might be. And then I look at the things that business can do. Quite clearly, we have to play our role in combating climate change. It doesn't matter whether you're in the health sector or, frankly, in any other sector, we have to play that part. But for those of us who are involved in the health sector, then we can start to think not only about how we manage our own activities and how we reduce the impact that we have on ecosystems and on, and on the planet more broadly from a carbon dioxide perspective, but also how through our brands, through our products, through the connections that in the case of Reckitt, we have with 20 million people a day who put our products on their shelves, how we can create stronger health literacy and help people protect themselves. And in that way, I see the sort of role of the private sector in this, let's call it the self-care part of the private sector, perhaps the more formal part of the private sector that maybe Bupa or, or would fall into, alongside the public sector provision of healthcare and health services, as playing a similar but incredibly important part, because prevention on this is surely better than cure. We are not geared up to deal with the increasing pressures on our health services that climate change will create. 
We saw it, frankly, through the pandemic in this country and globally. And climate change is going to be a bigger challenge to us than that. So for me, it's those two critical things that business can play. Tackling climate change, playing our part to keep global warming to less than 1.5 degrees in a myriad of ways. But perhaps even more importantly, connecting with the people we connect with on a daily basis through the markets that we're part of and helping them make small but hugely important change, changes that both protect their own health, but also reduce their impact on the planet as well. And you put those two things together, and I think we start to get something that is much more positive going forward. Thank you. I love that. And I'm going to pick up on something you were talking about when you were just talking about this idea and notion of self-care and that it's a myriad of entities coming together <laughs> to resolve this issue and connect that to something that James said, which was this idea of building a more resilient healthcare system. What does that look like? So being practical to you all as, as, as panellists and experts, what does a more resilient healthcare system look like? How does it manifest itself? And what are the, the sort of first steps we do on that journey? Can I throw that maybe to James first? There's probably two key dimensions of it. There's the, the operational elements of the healthcare system itself, the delivery of the health service in an effective, safe, high quality way. There's the health workforce, without being sufficiently large and professional enough to deliver what it needs to. There's the health information systems that need to sit within that. There's the access to essential medicines from the pharmaceutical sector providing. And then there's things like financing and then and governance as well, which I think give you a well-equipped, resilient healthcare system. And then, of course, there's all of the peripheral elements then that sit around that, right? So what determines how resilient that healthcare system is, as well as how well the system itself operates, are the pressures that that system is facing from external sources. And I think that's where it's a much broader field then, and resilience is contributed to by a wide variety of different stakeholders, whether it's individuals themselves and their lifestyle choices, whether it's businesses providing those lifestyles to them, um, whether it's how workers are treated, whether it's climate change, the breakdown of the natural world, and a series of, of different topics. So I think those are the two key dimensions to understand. It's how the healthcare system itself is operating and then the pressures that are being put on it from outside would be my view. Thank you, James. David, just looking through the lens of the impact of climate change and health and this resilience that we're looking at, what would you think that more resilient healthcare system would entail? <laughs> I mean, somewhat it does depend on different marketplaces. And we know through work that we've been doing about the challenges that different countries face through the impact of climate change. If we try and think about that at a broad level, I think you can group them based on things that are perhaps most in the gift of the individual. And then other things that are perhaps more about national level responses or global level responses. To give you a sense of what I'm thinking about is at an individual or community level, how do we help people to reduce their exposure? That could be about avoiding working or avoiding working at highest times when the temperatures are getting higher. It is about reinforcing hygiene and it rec we definitely see hygiene as an absolute foundation for health in the future particularly where we see climate change and urbanisation, two global trends coming together and denser populations, higher temperatures, different vectors of diseases coming through. Hygiene as a foundation to that is critical. I think that also leads you into things like barrier methods, and, you know, even basic things, mosquito nets as prevention, as well as great, or let's do, great is optimistic, 
better or even the provision of community wash water and sanitation activities, which is sadly lacking in many parts of the world. And that also then leads you into an element of utilisation of, of healthcare services, where we start to look for early detection and effective treatment, prevention and early detection at that local, individual and community level that starts to build to something more broadly from a national response. Now, of course, no, don't get me wrong. I know that those things are fundamentally dependent on the presence and the ability for people to access public health services. Health literacy driven through either public sector actors or private sector actors is critical in building those opportunities. I think when you get to a national level position, you know, national action planning with that direct input around the impacts that climate change will create. And that links then to preventative measures, wash infrastructures, for example. It links to early warning systems. And I think it's also about trying to find ways for risk reduction where we might see high consequence disease interfaces coming through in the future, new pathways of disease. Dare I say it, the connection potentially between global pandemics and loss of ecosystems and biodiversity and impacting on food chains. They're the sorts of issues that we can start to see being driven at a national level. That's shifting the balance, if you like, whether it's a private sector market level response into something that is a policy response and a governmental action, but in concert. Going back to what I was saying a moment ago, for me, the critical point about this is seeing the public health agenda in a 360 degree way. The public sector, the formal private sector, and the less formal, but nevertheless hugely important, self-care and market-led activity that we're, you're very closely involved in. And critical is seeing those three working together, complementing each other. And by that, I also mean not all going after the same thing at the same time. Trusting people to work on areas that they have greatest opportunity to create impact through so that you actually divide and conquer. Now that requires transparency, it requires trust, and it requires a bit of confidence to meet in the middle. But for me, that's a critical conversation in the response that we have to have to the impacts of climate change on health. Fiona, what are your reflections on that? There are two aspects. We've talked about that healthcare systems themselves contribute to carbon emissions. So we know that 4.5% of global carbon emissions are related to healthcare. They are important in themselves and there has been a lot done on this. It needs to get down to the practical level. So as a coalition, what we have done is we produced the first global guidance on footprinting medicines and devices, but more recently been working around how do you break down a care pathway? How do you look at the journey that a patient takes? How do you measure it? How do you quantify the travel that they take from home to a clinic? How can you look and how can you design environment out and health in? And what we found by doing that is that actually reducing cost, improving health outcomes is actually aligned very closely to reducing environmental impact. So they're not contrary to each other. And in markets themselves, both in the UK, where the NHS has declared that it'll only buy from providers who are net zero by 2030, or with the work that UNDP is doing globally, the incentives for companies to change is different. But I would also bring us back to the fact that I think one of the most exciting health systems that doesn't get talked about very much is actually the health system that exists in our companies themselves. 
because you've only got to look at an episode of The Office to realise that all of our mental health is critically impacted by the relationships we have with our line manager and other people. There is a huge amount that that hidden health service, in the broader sense of the term, can do to improve people's health. And so I think it's been fantastic this year that the connections between nature and mental health, you know, Mental Health Awareness Day was very much linked to nature this year. And it gives people fun because they can share pictures of nature with their colleagues. They can say why their dog's important to them, why they love going for walks at the weekend. But it also begins to get home those messages about how you personalise health, how you link it to the bigger picture issues like biodiversity loss, but also how you can practically show that businesses can make a difference and demonstrate that to governments. Because one of the things I've been fascinated by is I've done a lot of work in sustainability and obviously a lot of work in health. Business has led the sustainability agenda and has encouraged governments to act. In health, governments often catch up with where public opinion and often business opinion actually is. And I think that's why it's so important now that this issue about how we bring health and climate change together and that business shows that it is important, because that's, I think, not only how you will encourage healthcare systems, that are often, you know, publicly funded or funded by business to change, but it'll also align both the role of business, but the fact that everybody thinks it's important. So I think there's a huge leadership role as well. Yeah, I love that. And actually, James, if you don't mind, I might pick up on the idea of leadership and the role of, of leadership, because you made a beautiful point, which is healthcare is not just for the healthcare industry, it has to be led so I'd love to pick up on that a little bit. James, just picking up that thread and this idea that healthcare is not just the premise of the health industry. For me, the one that has been the most fascinating exploring with our companies lately has been the employee health and well-being journey, if you like, that companies are going on. From what traditionally has been quite a reactionary space where you know businesses responding to new pieces of legislation or to instances of, of health and safety issues that they've been responding to. And it's been focused on ensuring a first of all work, workplace health and safety and then addressing any sort of issues that have come up to moving to a much more proactive field of activity, which has been about embedding a culture of mental and physical health within the organization. You know, all the companies that we speak to, none of them will claim to be doing this already. I think everybody's on a journey as we work towards this, but critical in that piece is leadership, right? Particularly around mental health, because it all cascades from the tone and the culture that is set within the organization. And that filters through to everybody. But I think some of the figures that we've been pulling out in the research around this work is amazing around the economic impacts of failing to do these things. Well, if you think about in the UK alone, there's between 42 and 45 billion pounds of cost associated with poor mental health. And this research done by Deloitte and Mind a couple of years ago. Broader than that sort of physical health issues related to $600 billion per year of costs in the US through absenteeism, presenteeism and, and, and turnover. The compelling business case for taking action is, is certainly there. In the face of climate change, where systems will be placed under much greater stress and scrutiny, there's also a clear case to be made for, for advancing employee health and well-being to help with the resilience of, of our individual employees' health and thereby the, the resilience of the, the broader health system. And that can range from so many different things, from you know the way in which 
people are managed, through the culture that's put in work, through optional programs that are put in place to incentivize healthier employee lifestyles, whether it's quitting smoking programs, healthy eating, healthy diets, healthy mobility, incentivization schemes. The sky's the limit in terms of the different interventions that can be made there. So it's yeah, such a rich area to explore and would encourage any companies to explore it as much as they can and learn from the companies like Reggit who are leading the way. And I guess on that, maybe just some thoughts from you about what can organisations who may not be leaning into this yet do and learn from others, I think might be a, a really interesting question to think about, maybe through the context of the lens of what Rickett's own journey and experience. Do you have any advice for people on that? I would start off with thinking about what your core business is all about. Just as you've heard from Fiona and James already, that sense of workplace well-being, health and safety, um, ecosystem of health and safety is evolving rapidly and climate change has a role to play in that in mean, how people are working where they're working so on and so forth but also as we go into even in the UK whatever the new normal is going to be about ways of working we've seen over the past 18 months a rise in challenges for mental health well-being driven by the fact that we're working in a very different way, in a remote way. And we're not seeing people with the social dynamic that we are used to and actually need. And I think, you know, just thinking about that dynamic is the start of the conversation. Then I think, I mean, when I, I reflect on, on the sort of work that we've been doing, it's about collaboration to create health interventions and partnerships to do that. And that's something that, depending on the nature of your business, there are various ways you can create that. But to leverage your core business and core skill set to create impact, yes, for your business, but impact through your business to tackle these sorts of societal challenges. I mean, for example, we've been doing work in Russia with the Russian Ministry of Health on HIV and AIDS a challenging agenda for the Russian market, but nonetheless something that has started to bring greater health literacy around. We've done the same in Thailand. You know, it helps when you have one of the world's biggest condom brands to make these conversations happen. Independently, we were able to measure the impact that that had for the Thai government based on avoided sexually transmitted diseases. It's in the region of £120 million a year, every year, that contributes to the Thai government's public health agenda. And that's on top of everything else that we do as an employer and a payer of tax and so on and so forth. So don't lose track of the fact that in doing your core business, you're having an impact into societal challenges across the SDGs. And people often say to me, well, why would I bother with the SDGs? I'm a business, that's governments. And I say, well, look, you know, well, it's a record. The SDGs are a proxy for thriving communities. And if the communities that we serve thrive, then so do we. And it's in our interest to make that connection in ways of partnership and collaboration that strengthens and helps to deliver on those wider issues. We can also do it through our marketing. And I'll just give you this one example. During the pandemic, I'm not on, I don't do a lot of social media. Those of you who know me you know I don't do social media very well, but it's not really my bag. During the pandemic, our Dettol brand began a program, starting in India, about reminding people how to wash your hands properly. This went viral. Over the past 12 months, it has different aspects of the video that various people have created, not all of us by a long, long way. Different aspects of the video have been viewed 125 billion times reminding people who've seen it, what's the best way to protect yourself against basic disease prevention? 
That's where marketing activity, something that often we don't think about, we think physical, but if we can think about how we connect with the billions of people around the world who our businesses touch day in and day out, and how we can support that with messages that have a dual role, that inform, create better health literacy, then the opportunity we have is immense. And many, many businesses in different sectors can do similar things. And I would encourage people to think, how do you leverage your core business to create impact beyond your business? It's something that increasingly is expected. But in the conversation about health, that principle of the three-way split on the public health agenda, it's critical that we play that role as well as alongside governments. We have had a question from Liz on the Q&A and Fiona, I might throw this one at you because I think your research with Forum of the Future might give us some insight here. This idea of are there anti-climate activities that some sectors might be pursuing that would actually have a negative effect on health? I think that's a huge question, but um, I'd love to just get your reflections on that question. Well, it's a great one. And I think what we need to realise that health isn't fixed, it's dynamic, and it's always influenced by our environment, our social interactions, and how we behave and what we do. It's absolutely possible that some of the actions that we could take would be deleterious to health. That is certainly a possibility. And therefore, we need to really think about how it could impact on health when we make choices. That's why I was saying it's important to think of health and environment and choices we make and understand and measure that impact, both in terms of the theoretical basis of why we're acting, but also in terms of, you know, trying to actually measure outcome. You know, an example could be, Richard talked a lot about the use of digital absolutely can be brilliant for people's health, but it can also exclude people who maybe don't have access to that. So there are lots of ways in which we just need to not assume that things are going to be good for our health, but we need to test it out and we need to check it. So that's what I would say. Health is always dynamic. It's always formed by what societies do. And inequality in health itself is absolutely a dynamic phenomenon. So that ability to keep checking, looking for new evidence and not assuming that learning is really important. We're all on a learning journey every day, aren't we? So for sure. Just a few closing thoughts from you that would inspire our audience here today. I mean, I think it comes back to me to the central issue about how we design thoughts around health and environment into both our organisational strategic decisions, but also into the everyday. And I think we've heard lots of examples around how health and climate go together, whether it's connecting with nature or action on decarbonising transport. There are lots of examples around how they go together. So it's about that design element. I think it's also about, though, thinking about how we do that in a way that engages people to improve their health. So giving people more of a sense of control, because part of the problem is that climate change takes that away. And finally, I think as we're going to hear about in the next panel, it's about thinking about how do we make those health and environment choices for people, the easy ones, the fun ones, the accessible ones, the ones that are built into their life and they don't need to think about. In other words, we need to design it for human beings and we need to think about behaviour change as well as the big system incentives that we've talked about. Thank you. David, what are your thoughts? Three or four points just to close with, Una. I'll go back to what I started this conversation. Climate health is everybody's health and we forget that our, at our peril. The climate change conversation is frequently focused on global warming and impact on ecosystems. It's only really now that the health conversation is coming more to the fore. 
it needs to be there more frequently. It needs to be, I think, front and centre in this discussion. And we need to play our part in raising that profile. Secondly, we're all partners, particularly those of us working in, health, you know, in the broad health sector and on public health issues. We're all partners in that public health debate and in public health solutions. With governments, we can reach millions of people with a positive intervention opportunity. We add value on societal challenges to our core business. And the more we can strengthen that, measure it to your point of view, create greater impact, thoughtful impact that complements what everybody else is doing, not duplicates it, complements it, um, then the better. And last, but by no means least, how can we create collaboration so that we deliver that impact at scale? And bearing in mind that you know, collaboration has to be a joint agenda. All too often, the private sector talks about collaboration and then talks about this, what's in it for us. No, that's not the answer. That's not a partnership. We all have to compromise a little bit on this. But creating true collaboration where we complement each other's activities so the whole is greater than the sum of the parts is the critical element, I think, in driving greater impact and greater opportunity at the same time. Thank you. Really clear. There are lots of C's, collaboration and commitment. James, just a few final words from you before we close up the panel. Um, and thank you, everybody, so much for joining. Sure, yeah. So it's just to add what's, what's already been said, really. But I think perhaps this idea, first of all, that climate change solutions perhaps need to be seen through a lens of health as well. Perhaps, although tackling climate change is a key contributor to good health, we need to consider that the solutions we're putting in play are the best health solutions as well. So that, you know, we need to think about that. I think considering that health is everyone's business, every company's business, not just those in the health sector, and emphasize the role that all businesses can play. Considering health as a very strong new frontier emerging in the, the ESG space. So as the S in ESG becomes much more defined, the pressure that will mount on companies to be reporting and disclosing well on their efforts to support healthcare throughout society and then finally bringing it down to ourselves and those around as well i think we can often talk about health as something ethereal but looking after ourselves i saw that the who ilo report this year that says working more than 55 hours a week is significantly it contributes to the risk of heart disease and other factors so managing our own workloads managing our own lives and those around us protecting our own mental health it all starts at home so yeah that would be my closing message Making it personal seems to be something that's really coming out um, from all the panels so far. So that's great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope everybody thoroughly enjoyed that. You guys were amazing and really appreciate you joining us here today. Mm -hmm.